What's up, y'all? Um, it's Michael here with Sam and our special guest today, Brandon Carroll, uh, the lead reporter for All Gators on FN. Pleasure to have you with us today. We wanted to really dive into the depths of Gator football. I know we've talked about it a lot on this pod already, but we kind of really wanted to get into the nitty gritty of um, the offseason that I think never sleeps really in college football um, and kind of looking ahead to what we can expect from the Gators um, in the 2024 season. So um, with that being said, thank you again, Brandon. Um, really appreciate you um, coming on the pod today. And, you know, I know Florida Gator basketball has been going crazy recently, but we want, really wanted to, to focus a lot more on, on Gator football. Um, I think it's just under 200 days away, which, my goodness, I cannot wait um, any longer <laughs> than that. So, yeah, without further ado, we wanted to kind of kick things off by, um, I don't know if you wanted to introduce yourself before we get into it, but yeah, uh, like, I mean, you kind of said it all. I'm, I'm Brandon Carroll. Um, I currently work as a lead reporter uh, at All Gators. It's a Sports Illustrated Fan Nation affiliate um, covering football, basketball, recruiting uh, for them over there. So, you know, like you said, I am in the, the bulk of basketball season right now. But with training camp and everything coming up for football, it's definitely a good time to kind of preview what the next season looks like for the Gators. Yeah, and I think I'm just going to briefly drop the, a quick story. Like, the way that I met Brandon, uh, and, you know, the saying Gator Nation is everywhere, I was out at, you know, downtown in Gainesville coming back, grabbing some McDonald's, and I heard someone talking Gator football. or I, It might have just been college football in general, and I had to stop by, and little did I know it was Brandon talking about, you know, some really cool stuff. So um, really appreciate um, you being here again. And without further ado, well, let's break down kind of the Gators roster. So, um, I know a lot of changes have been made from the team last year. I think the Gators are ranked third in the SEC in returning production, which is always a good thing for the most part. I mean, some might say, you know, five and seven season, why are we, you know, returning so much production? But um, I think a lot of major changes were made. So do you mind talking about, you know, maybe some of the big portal moves that have been made um, and whether you think the roster now is better or worse than what we saw last fall? Yeah, uh, I think one thing that I will say, and I don't want to necessarily draw a direct comparison um, to this team just because of how the, the heights that they reached last year, but Florida State returned a lot of production from some of their lesser seasons uh, over the past few years, and they were able to make that jump. I'm not saying Florida makes that jump, but returning production isn't necessarily always a bad thing even when you are 5-7. and seven. So there is there are steps to be taken with returning players who are key pieces in any success that you saw. Uh, throughout the season, but Florida's kind of addition and subtraction through the transfer portal was, I mean, I think it was better than it was last year in terms of the pieces that they were able to get. I thought they got a lot of uh, proven producers and some guys who are high upside that can definitely uh, kind of make waves earlier than some of the guys we saw last season. I thought even at the time, I thought Damian George was kind of a reach take that was someone that they you know, we're hoping could live up to the potential that he showed once at Alabama. It wasn't necessarily a guy that was going to kind of slot in at that right tackle spot and have a lot of success. I think this season they took a guy in Brandon Crenshaw Dixon, who I believe is, I, I tweeted it out yesterday. I think he's probably the highest value um, portal piece that Florida's picked up under the billion, under Billy Napier's tenure in Gainesville. And he has potential to produce at that level. Um, he has experience at both right and left tackle has started close to 20 games at each and getting someone who is proven in that area was crucial for Florida. The offensive line is always going to be um, a, 
you know, area where you look at it before the season and you're, there's questions because of what it looked like last season. So to get a guy proven as him, I think that's huge. You got Grayson Howard on the other side of the football who is someone that they wanted coming out of high school. He showed some flashes last year for South Carolina. Now he's coming into the fold to work alongside Shamar James and some of the young pieces at linebacker. So those are the two that I really point to as big uh, portal pieces that they've picked up and two guys I think can contribute and contribute significantly for the team heading into 2024. Yeah, and and I just want to add, you know, I don't think the Gators made any huge, you know, splash hires that, you know, social media is going to go crazy about. But I do think that in terms of what our specific needs were, we really hit on exactly what we needed. I think, especially when you look at some of the other positions on the defense, getting Traquez Bridges from Oregon, getting uh, Joey Slackman from, from, from Penn, one of the most productive, you know, defensive linemen in the country last year. I think those are the additions that you know, people aren't necessarily talking about that I'm really, really excited about. Um, you know, Traquez can can really play anywhere in that DB room. I'm, I'm really interested to see where he ends up. Um, but yeah, I think that especially that the linebacker room um, and the offensive line both get significant improvements um, from those guys you were talking about. Um, I'm very excited for the linebacker room specifically. I think we um, can go four or five deep um, and, and have some serious talent um, that deep into the, into the roster. So especially with the new uh, additions we just got in this last class um, in Aaron Childs um, and, um, and Miles Graham. So I think those guys are going to be studs. Um, and I'm interested to see if they get as much early play time as some of the other freshmen did last year. Um, so yeah, would you say this roster is, is a better looking roster top to bottom overall than last year's? I know we lose some guys like Princely um, and um, you know, obviously the, Twitter was going crazy about Trevor Etienne leaving, but what do you think about the roster overall this year as opposed to last year? Uh, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Over, okay. Overall, do you Sorry. think the roster is like Sorry. better or worse? I thought you were talking to year? Sam for a second. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh no, Sam, you got to answer my fault. Um, Are you good? I would say it's definitely an interesting dynamic just because you do lose some of those guys who were key to the product. Like obviously uh, Trevor Etienne was uh, the best player on the offensive side of the football. Obviously Eugene Wilson can kind of be in that, in that fold as well. But uh, from a touch standpoint, from a production standpoint, it was Trevor Etienne. He was the guy on the offensive side of the football. And so it's hard to replace that, but I don't necessarily think it's like the, I, I think that if you look at the roster from top to bottom, it's definitely I, – I, I think it's better just because of the freshmen that they brought in, but I also think it's still young. So I don't necessarily know how that's going to directly translate to wins this season. I, yeah. I think that it's still a, a, at a spot where you can say that the talent is better, but there's a lot of inexperience and a lot of growing pains that I still think are going to be had during – the 2024 season and that's not necessarily a byproduct of the team not being good or being talented but it's just a byproduct of having so many young pieces that are going to be playing critical roles so many underclassmen who are going to be filling starting positions for florida uh heading into next year yeah and i you know i i didn't want to take directly from josh pape but he said something that really resonated with me like less than a week ago he said you know we could legitimately be the 20th best team in the country and still finish six and six with the schedule that we have so it's really right. crazy to think that that's the case. And obviously, if we end the season six and six, there's going to be 
a quasi civil war amongst Gator fans and the Twitter space in general. But um, yeah, in terms of, you know, the young guys on the roster, I really think um, Napier was playing more chess than checkers and giving a lot of those guys um, a good amount of playtime last year. I mean, I think we were one of the youngest teams in the country um, and gave young guys the, one some of the most reps in the country last year. So um, now they kind of get some of that experience under their belt. Um, they have tape to look at in the offseason, and, and I'm really excited to see where, where they go next year. Um, but with that being said, we kind of wanted to go specifically breaking down the offense a bit and the defense. What do you think are some of the strengths and weaknesses of the offense that we're going to field um, next year on, on, on Saturdays in the Swamp? Yeah, I think obviously returning Graham Mertz, I think the quarterback spot's going to be a strength just because of what you saw him do last season, have his, uh, you know, a resurrection year from what he did at Wisconsin to moving to Florida. You see how he kind of produced at a significantly higher rate uh, while being, you know, in, in his first year in Gainesville. I think ultimately with him kind of coming back and, and having an extra year under his belt, uh, in Billy Napier's system, you're going to be able to get more out of him. You're going to be able to get more out of the offense because he's able to understand what's going on. He's able to understand the operation uh, of everything. Because that's what he was brought in to do. He was brought in to be an operational um, quarterback. He wasn't brought in to light up stat sheets or, or you know, have, have a team that scores 40 points per game. He was like, – like, if we look at last year and what he was supposed to do, he was a game manager. And that's exactly what he was supposed to do. He played to his role. I think he can elevate from that game manager spot to be just a little bit better, to be, you know, a, an above average quarterback that puts Florida in positions to score points and to operate in the way that Billy Napier wants them to, where they churn out yardage and they hold onto the football, dominate the time of possession battle, and they're able to kind of play keep away from opposing teams. And and because ideally that's his style. <clears throat> And then do, you, always, do you think that that style – I'm sorry to cut you off. Do you think that that style no, is going to be enough to compete, though, in a schedule like this when you get to that gauntlet at the end? Do you think slightly above game manager, given the talent, given the uncertainties on defense, is that going to be enough to get wins in that gauntlet? I'm not necessarily sure uh, about just the style in general. I, I've, I mean, I've been critical of Billy Napier's style since he's arrived. I, th I thought that his – the desire to run the football 30 plus times a game is archaic. Um, obviously that's not exactly what's been the product because Florida's been playing uh, from behind more than, you know, a lot of Gator fans would like, but there is still the um, desire to do that. Yeah, that's still his, his pace. And because of the success he had at Louisiana Lafayette and because of the mild success he's seen at times running that system, it's going to be what Florida does. Like it, it's not, I don't see any major changes coming. You know, they had times last year where they would do that and then they try to take the deep shot. They try to do the, you know, the trick play and it didn't always work, but you saw flashes of it. But I think that's really what you're going to get with Billy Napier. I don't think there's much that's going to change there. Um, not necessarily saying that's a good or a bad thing. Cause I think there are times where it works, times where it doesn't. But in terms of being able to push past that six and six mark, if you are getting in late into the schedule, which the entire schedule is a gauntlet, you get into mid-October and that schedule gets 10 times harder. Yeah. If they haven't won five games by mid-October, they, they're they not ball eligible because that it gets to be a brutal schedule. So yeah. it's it's really difficult to see that offense kind of pushing them past in the late stretch of the season, that six and six 
mark, seven and five mark um, at this at this stage. But and then weakness, I would say, is really the offensive line. It's the offensive line until it's not, uh, just because of the new pieces you're rebuilding once again up front. You have a lot of question marks up there. Um, is Austin Barber going to move back to right tackle? Is D- Devon Manuel going to step in? Um, for him and have Barber move as the swing tackle again. Who's going to start at the guard spots? Is Damian George going to move to a guard or is Najee Harris going to take that spot? There's so many questions uh, that kind of arise there. So it's still a lot to figure out for Florida up front uh, heading into next season. Yeah, I had a, a little bit different of, of kind of perspective on, on the strength. I still think that the running back room is the strength of this offense. Um, right. I think that someone could really convincingly make the argument that the running back room got better um, in, in, in the offseason, despite losing Trevor Etienne. I mean, when you talk about the guys that we've added, like Cannon Daniels and Jaden Ball um, from this class, Jaden Ball, someone that Bama really, really wanted, Cannon Daniels, who dropped nearly 3,000 rushing yards his senior season in high school. I mean, these guys are studs um, that I'm sure will get some reps this season. Um, I'm not, I don't know if, if they'll be game changers, but we also can't ignore Cam Carroll will be back. This is a thousand yard running back with a lot of experience coming out of Tulane who split carries with Ty J Spears and still had that thousand yard season. Um, you know, he was out all of last season. I think if he's back and healthy, this running back room could be deeper top to bottom than, you know, last year. I mean, Trayon Webb is going to move up that ladder a little bit too. So we have five guys that I think legitimately um, could play football almost anywhere in the country. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, the offensive line, I'm kind of tired of, of getting bullied around by, um, you know, some some lesser schools, um, some worse programs, um, honestly, on both sides of the ball. Um, but, yeah, I think we do have a lot of guys that we could we have to kind of play around with and move around. So I really hope that, you know, the competition kind of um, makes all of them, the, the whole room better, I guess, on the offensive line. Um, and then really quickly, is there any sleeper breakout player that you're kind of looking at um, going into the season? I don't know if Trey Wilson is a sleeper anymore, but, yeah, I don't know what you what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I don't think Trey Wilson's a sleeper anymore. Um, I actually I did a story two days ago. Oh no, last week, last Friday, and it went out Saturday, I think, something like that, um, where I kind of rated um, Florida's top ten players because EA Sports announced that it's it's officially coming out this summer. Cannot wait. So I went, for that. Yeah, oh that's gonna be awesome. Top ten, top ten Florida ratings, and Trey Wilson was number one right there, tied with Shamar James at a ninety-two overall. Just random i mean not random i i took different projections and stuff and like used past um ratings and things like that madden stats and everything uh to kind of put those together but it was definitely uh he, he was at the top because uh i think he's very talented but i do I'm, I'm gonna stick with the wide receiver room i think you could look at a guy like andy Jean to potentially be a breakout player for florida this season he's gonna get more reps with uh some of the pieces that they lost this offseason in that wide receiver room and I think he could legitimately emerge as one of those outside receiver options uh, going into this season. And then you'll see him progress as the year goes along uh, into being more of a legitimate and, and kind of consistent uh, threat from the outside for Florida. Yeah, I like that picking Andy Jean, a sophomore, very polished route runner out of Miami Northwestern. I was really excited about the pickup. I thought 247 did a, was, you know, really um, underestimating this guy. I think they had him at like a three-star, really low four-star, but – um, he was a really touted recruit that we got. So I'm really excited to see what he can do. I also think he put up some size um, the last couple of months. So I, I think that's going to be really big for him. Um, and then kind of the same thing on defense, you know, strengths, weaknesses, and then a breakout player if you have one. Yeah. I would say 
that the strength is the linebacker room, and which is crazy because I think it's flipped so quickly from being one that was a bit of a concern last season, especially once Shamar went down against Georgia, uh, into being now a strength with Shamar James, Grayson Howard, and then you also have you know the Miles Graham, Aaron Giles, um, and and some other returning pieces that can serve as depth in that room. I do think you see uh, Miles Graham play early. He he got into the you know early enrolled, played in the spring. Um, he'll be in that two deep. I I also expect I, I went to. Uh, UA uh, next future, you know, the the Under Armour All-American game. And Aaron Childs walked in the building and I was like, that's an SEC linebacker. He looks yeah. ready to rock from day one. And I've said that since I saw him for the first time. He is every bit of what his measurables say. He is all of it. He, like, if the, the body composition part won't be a deterrent for him seeing the field early. It'll, it'll, you know, just be him getting up to speed in the defensive game plan, which he'll be learning that throughout the spring. They'll be communicating with him regularly. But I do think that you could see both of those freshman linebackers play, which means that Florida's linebacker group could be uh, the strength of that defense heading into next season uh, with Shamar returning for his junior year and then having those young pieces around him. Weakness, uh, I still think it's interior defensive line. I, I obviously know that they were able to come in and get Joey Slackman. They still have Cam Jackson, but there are some still question marks regarding their consistency. I, I know that they're disruptive. I saw it last season in, in flashes. If you saw that they were able to push downfield, they were able to kind of wreak some havoc in the backfield against ball carriers, um, against you know in the rushing game. But then there were times where they were getting tired. The depth wasn't there. So you're starting to see this growth there from a, you know, in a, in sense of getting talent in like Makai Barreau, he's, he's a, was a big addition for Florida in the middle, but it's still something that I don't necessarily think is, is ready to go this season. Um, even though they were able to get some of those uh, more other guys into the fold there. Yeah. I'd really agree with your take on the defense. I think the DB room, although it gets better is never a certainty. I mean, we've seen the performance the last few years. It's, Nothing short of, of pretty embarrassing, honestly. Um, but, yeah, I think you can't speak enough about how much the linebacker room has improved. And, you know, on the defensive line, I think that, we, like you've said, we've shown flashes. It's just consistently getting to the quarterback and finishing and getting sacks. Sacks are such big, you know, drive killers. And if we can't finish, you know, on some of those pressures that we're getting, I think that that's, that's a big problem. And hopefully that changes um, this year. But, yeah, I'm really excited. Honestly, like I was just talking to my buddy um, last night, actually. Like I think this is the first time where I can pretty confidently say that I don't see any major holes on the defense top to bottom. Um, I think that in previous years, you know, there was like, okay, this DB room is going to have a real tough time against so-and-so team or like, you know, the, our defensive line is just going to get destroyed by so-and-so's offensive line. But I really think this year, um, I think we're pretty deep at, at every position um, and more so than maybe the last even five or so years. So, yeah. And then I guess real quick, what, you know, breakout player is kind of on your radar um, for this upcoming year on the defense? I think there are several. And I know I said interior defensive line is a weakness. Um, I mm -hmm. do think it can be supplemented by some of the talent that's on the outside. Obviously, losing your your big piece in Princely Mommy Ellen's never ideal. But you have guys like Kelby Collins. You have Cameron James. You have a, a guy coming in who I think is a lot like Trayvon Walker uh, in LJ McCray. So some pieces that can create pressure off the edge and also help in the run game uh, like those three. But I actually look to the secondary for a breakout player. I think Sharif Denson at that star spot 
could really emerge as someone that is going to have a major impact for Florida this season and be uh, in a position to really assert himself as a starter for this season and moving forward in this Florida defense. I think he'll work in rotation there with DJ Douglas uh, transferred from Tulane. Those two will kind of command the star spot. And I think it's, you know, we'll, we'll see a jump forward uh, in Florida's secondary because of the impact that Sharif and DJ have in that spot. Yeah, I was. It's really funny you say that because I was just talking to my the same guy last night about the DB room and specifically Sharif Denson. I remember seeing an interview with him after he committed to Florida. Um, after I think it was after one of his high school games, and he pretty much was saying how he would tell his head coach, uh, you know, put me on their best receiver and I'll lock him down the rest of the game. And you know, they some they showed some stats too, and literally like clamps on clamps against their top receiver, right. like most most Friday nights. So. Um, I'm really excited. I think he's a dog. I think he has that Gator, you know, mindset that hopefully will help, to, you know, bring us back to the good old days. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the defense for sure. Um, yeah. And then I guess I actually have gonna... an interesting. I actually yeah. have an interesting story. Um, so I went to school with Sharif's brother. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm from the same area as him, and you know, I went, grew up with them. Uh, we played football together, and Sharif was several years younger than him, um, and we were out like one time playing basketball up at just one of the regular like parks or whatever. And Sharif comes up there and bro was just getting after it. And I was like, this dude, this dude's kind of nice for being as young as he is. And it's just cool to see like how he's kind of grown into being someone that I now am projecting to be a breakout player for, for Florida. Just someone that I I've kind of, I saw him in middle school, you know, and I'm not going to sit here and say like, Oh, I expected him to be what he is now, but it's just cool to see that progression. And, you know, there were you definitely saw flashes of the athleticism uh, that he brings, and it's been cool to follow his journey there. Um, since I, I went to school with Nasir um, at, at Creekside High School uh, growing up, so definitely uh, interesting. You know, small world for sure. Yeah, no, that's a pretty crazy story. I mean, dang, that, I mean, if he was if he was that, that athletic at middle school, we could just give you all the credit in the world and say this guy, this guy is scouting middle schoolers. But no, um, kind of. Hey man, I will take it. <laughs> I, 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 hey, if you want to give me praise for that, I'll take it. I'm not, I'm not going to shy away from it, that's for sure. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, we kind of wanted to transition to kind of the staff, you know, the not not the guys on the field, but the guys that have probably just as big of an impact on, on our season. So, you know, what are some of the major additions or losses that we've kind of experienced? I know a lot of turnover on the defense. Kind of wanted you to, to touch on that a bit. And then um, just overall, from a, a much bigger picture lens, do you think that the staff is – you know, better or worse than the staff we had um, the 2023 season? Yeah, I would say, uh, I mean, if you're asking about, like, if there's a specific guy that I think is is fantastic, I actually really like, I know it wasn't the splash hire that a lot of people were looking for, but I actually really liked the Gerald Chapman hire from Tulane. I thought, I think he is a very good coach, um, you know, and I think that he's proven that he can have disruptive defensive lines. So, while I do think that the position overall interior on the interior is is a negative, I do think that or like a weakness, I should say, and it's you know weakness, but I do think that it will be improved from the product we saw last season simply because I think he's a really good coach. I think that he's able to get his guys to produce at a really high level, and even Carlos Dunlap said that um, he was a, a large portion of what you know made him as good as he was during his time in Cincy. So. Uh, kind of helped him take that next step uh, when he was with the Bengals. But 
outside of Chapman, I also really think that just getting Ron Roberts in the building, um, I'm, I'm interested to see how that dynamic works. But yeah. in a vacuum, I think that it is a – I think it could be a healthy um, addition to this staff simply because of the history with, you know, Austin Armstrong, who's still young in his profession. He's still learning how to um, kind of, you know, produce as a defensive play caller and just having someone to at least be an – uh, another voice in the room that's he's willing to listen to and he knows he knows what he's talking about because that's the guy that he learned a lot from is beneficial uh, overall. I think it's someone that can serve as a mentor um, while also it's it's a mutually beneficial relationship because you have Austin Armstrong learning from him, but also Ron Roberts getting to um, continue to be involved in an in SEC defense. And I think he's going to be a major part of the game plan. He's going to be a major part in you know adjustments on game days, which can only help Austin Armstrong and being able to kind of take this, what we saw last season, which was lackluster to put it lightly and kind of improve significantly into, you know, I'm not going to say that they're going to be a great defense, but at least improve to where every time they touch the field, you don't expect the opposing team to score. And and (laughs) I know that's not the nicest way to say it, but it's, it's how it like, that's just the way it's been for the past three years, really. Yeah. You know, 2021 like, under Grantham, 2022 under Patrick Tony, 2023 under Austin Armstrong. It's been every time the defense touches the field, there's a good chance this team's going to score. So you can't necessarily keep, continue that. And I think getting Ron Roberts in the room is a major uh, step in the right direction, at least uh, schematically. It all yeah. depends on the play, but schematically, I think that can help a lot. Yeah, and for those that don't know, Ron Roberts is a very experienced um, coach. He's going to come in as the co-defensive coordinator. Um, and kind of serve as a mentor, like Brandon said, to um, Austin Armstrong, um, our other co-defensive coordinator now, and the play caller on the defense. Um, you know, a lot of people on Twitter were saying, you know, oh, it's crazy that Florida needs a mentor for their defensive coach. And, uh, you know, that's not the type of program that should should need that. But really, like, I don't know, if we put our pride to the side for a second and our egos to the side, like getting someone to help a defensive coordinator who has that experience that he may be lacking, like in a vacuum, like you said, like, I am not opposed to that at all. I think whatever we can do to make that defense better outside of, you know, PR and what it looks like perceptually from the outside. If we perform better on Saturdays, um, I think that it's a good move. Right. And um, I also wanted to touch briefly on the addition of Will Harris. Um, I think as a DB coach, uh, it's a pretty solid hire to replace Corey Raymond. You know, there are whispers that, you know, Corey Raymond is a tiny bit washed and, you know, maybe we saw that a bit on the field last year. Um, But you know, I think that Will Harris coming from the Los Angeles Chargers, um, I think he is not only recruited super well, but um, I think I'm really excited to see how well he's developed um, some of our younger guys, like you said. Um, excited to see where he puts Trequez Bridges from Oregon. Um, and, you know, obviously Jordan Castell balled out last year. I think he could be like a premier safety um, in the SEC next year. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see those guys. But overall, from kind of a, a much bigger picture lens, you think the staff has improved or – or gotten worse since last year. Um, and then we lost guys like Sean Spencer um, and, you know, Corey Raymond, like I said, but, you know, what do you think overall about the staff heading into 2024? I think that there are positives and negatives both ways. I don't necessarily think it's improved nor worsened. I think it's kind of stayed, I think it's still similar, um, but I do think that they've addressed the areas that they've needed to well, if that makes sense. I think they've found some high upside pieces to uh, kind of improve 
uh, on the defensive line. Um, I, I, but I, at the same time, I think there's just some trade-offs uh, overall. So I don't necessarily have a great answer um, for that one, just because I do think it's still relatively similar. Um, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing heading into next year. Oh, yeah, just, and then I know. Just, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, you you got it, sir. Just a quick question before you know whatever Michael is saying. We wrap up the staff. The strength and conditioning coach guy leaving kind of late in the the coaching cycle to take pretty much, if I'm not wrong, a lateral move. If anything, a downgrade just based off the conference to go to Boston College. Where do, is there any fault to go around in that happening at such a weird point in the cycle? Is that you know an AD's fault? Is that just you know him making a move to somewhere he's more comfortable? Uh, I know it kind of looked weird from the outside, but what's sort of the inside perception of that move? I don't necessarily think it's a it's a that's a bad thing either. Um, he has a really he has a long term relationship with Boston College new coach Bill O'Brien. Yeah, um, they they've been connected at the hip for a while now, uh, and I think that just when he came calling, it was someone that was like, "All right, I'm willing to go do this because I know you." So I don't yeah. think it was anyone's fault, and in it wasn't necessarily a a move that was made because he didn't you know necessarily like being at Florida or right. he was trying to get out or anything like that. I think it was just, he was called by someone he look, he kind of respects in the profession that he's worked with before. And he called him and said, Hey, I have this opportunity to coach Boston college. I want to get them back to being one of the, you know, or I want to get them up to being one of the top yeah. teams in the ACC. Can you come, you know, lead my strength and conditioning staff. And he's like, of course I can. You're my boy. We're going to go figure this thing out. Yeah. That's just kind of the dynamic of the profession. I think that happens in, in several areas. I mean, it's happened several times this offseason with all the yeah. coaching turnover uh, throughout the year. So just having uh, some of this back and forth um, is is part of it. And it's something that Florida's dealt with fine. They actually just uh, announced his replacement before we started here. Uh, and Tyler Miles, who's taken over, he was the guy that was serving as the interim uh, when Fitzgerald left. And now he's going to be uh, taking on the strength and conditioning program for Florida this offseason, which was actually requested by the players. So I do think that is a, is a positive. So not necessarily saying it's a, yeah. it's a win for Florida, but I don't think it's a loss uh, yeah. at this time uh, overall, just because I do still think that they're in a fine spot to move forward and, and be uh, improved, uh, you know, just in the strength and conditioning aspect from previous years. Yeah, and I, you know, it was kind of hard to see on on you know social media at least a lot of the players reacting to Fit, to Fitzgerald leaving. They were pretty upset, but um, yeah, I mean, if if they replaced him with um, the interim that they all wanted, um, you know, I can't really complain because at the end of the day, they know what's best for you know their own bodies and their own you know growth and development um, physically. So yeah, and then I guess the last question about the staff was I know there's a lot a lot of talk about you know who's going to call the plays on offense next year. Are we hiring an OC? Um, what is kind of your take on that? I personally don't think we're hiring another uh, offensive coordinator play caller. Uh, I think Napier's made it pretty clear um, in some of his pressers. But what is your take on that? And, you know, if you think we're not, do you think we should? Um, and if so, who are some of the names that you would like to see? You know, Willie Korn um, was one, but yeah. Yeah, I don't think that they're going to be hiring an offensive coordinator. If they would have, it already happened by now. Because um, yeah. now you're getting into the part of the year where, yes, they're just now getting started in their uh, off-season regimen. They're kind of moving into the you know strength and conditioning aspect of things. But players have already started to learn the playbook. They've already started to learn the the, the installation of everything. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of difficult at this stage to have that turnover. So... I don't necessarily see 
uh, any area where Florida moves to uh, bringing in an outside offensive coordinator or a new play caller, if they were to, I would expect it to be Russ Calloway being promoted uh, and still commanding that tight end coach uh, position as well as being the offensive coordinator. But at this time, I, I see Billy Napier continuing to call plays, continuing to be the quarterback's coach, and continuing to be the head coach. Um, I think he's unloaded things off his plate, off of his plate elsewhere uh, to kind of give him the ability to uh, kind of have this the, – the, trio of titles that he really wants to have. He wants to be involved in the offense in the way that he has been the past two seasons. Yeah. So just a really brief follow-up because I, I really want to know more about this myself personally as well. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, when they talk about, you know, reducing, you know, stupid penalties, like false starts on third and short, which, you know, nothing more uh, upsetting than that, seeing that consistently throughout the year. Um, they attribute that a lot to Napier having a lot on his plate. And I guess beyond, you know, maybe hiring a guy like Ron Roberts that can help Armstrong out a bit more, what has he really done to kind of offload that? And are you are you okay with him calling the plays next year? Or do you would you have preferred us making a hire um, or making a change in terms of who's calling the plays? Yeah, I think the hire of Joe Houston, uh, obviously he's an off-field assistant, but I do think that that is a really important uh, hire for this offseason just because you look at the success the New England Patriots have had both – on special teams and just operationally throughout Bill Belichick's tenure and until this past season, uh, it was fantastic. And just getting a guy that understands what it means to, or like the operation and, and how to go about things every single week and on game days, the way that he did this past season is a perfect uh, match for Billy Napier. He's kind of put together a little uh, situational football slash special teams uh unit i should say you know there there's a ton of different things that he has um there so just having that is is specifically important for how this team moves forward um and kind of reducing some of those self-inflicted wounds uh and, and kind of not getting behind the sticks or moving you know from a third and two to a uh, third and seven or things like that it's, it's definitely uh kind of moving a step in the right direction on paper. It all depends on how it shakes out ultimately, but it definitely seems as if they're moving in the right direction there, or at least the thinking is to move in the right direction, which is what you want to see or what people wanted to see coming into this off season uh, is just moves being made in the right areas. And then I don't necessarily think that because you, okay. So you look at what Florida did offensively last season. And sure, there were times where it was a head scratcher. It was like, why is this play being called on, you know, this down? And you, I go back specifically to the Florida State game where Florida has momentum, they're up, and they try to run the double reverse pass back, whatever, and it gets blown up and, and Florida kind of – everything flips. From right that point on, momentum flipped, Florida State took over, ultimately, ultimately end up winning the game. It's easy to say in hindsight, oh, wow, that's a terrible play call. But then you look at Florida's success over the, you know, from probably about South Carolina and on, or you could probably even go back a game prior, but South Carolina and on, and you say, okay, they could score. That wasn't an issue. Florida was putting up points. They just weren't being able to match it defensively. So I don't necessarily think Billy Napier's play calling was one of the major issues, and I know that's not a consensus opinion of a lot of, you know, fans of Florida, but I don't think that, it was more his play calling specifically. I think it was him doing the play calling and being the quarterback's coach and being the head coach and being the situational football coach and being the special teams coach. 
was the biggest issue. And so offloading some of the things that he did in previous years uh, to kind of focus on those first three is something that I, I'm at least willing, you know, I, I think Florida fans should at least be willing to see heading into this season before any real judgment is cast on. Now, if week three gets here and Florida's scoring 13 points per game, all like it, then that's, you know, I was wrong or that, you know, there still needs changes to be made, whatever. But it's definitely something that I at least think it should be an open-minded um, approach to how he's handling some of the uh, offseason and, and just structural changes within the program. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. I think that the offense was relatively efficient last season if you look at it compared to the rest of, of the country. And I think that, you know, the, I guess the, the Florida fan base is pretty harsh, and rightly so. You know, it's a really high standard here. Um, but I think there's a lot of nitpicking on certain play calls. And, yeah, I get tired of the screen passes on third and long too. But, like, outside of some of that, and, you know, let, let's just happen to say that that double reverse pass worked. Like, would, would that have been – you know, a, a major talking point on social media? No, right? Like that would have been a huge momentum, like advantage even more so and probably go on to win that game potentially. So I don't know. It's, I, I'm personally okay with it. I think that you make a great point in saying that he's offloaded a lot. And I think that that really does help. Um, and, you know, a lot of fans will complain, oh, we run the ball way too much, but then they're also going to complain when he makes a risky play, play call like that. Like it's, it's a lot of give and take that, you know, I think that Napier can manage a lot better now um, that he has less on his plate. So yeah. Right. Um, as far as just the NIL goes, I mean, we can touch on it briefly. I don't want to take up too much of your time, of course. And I did um, want to touch on the schedule because I think it's one of the most intriguing things is dissecting such a gauntlet of a schedule when there's so much at stake uh, for the program, specifically, you know, Napier's future potentially and, and a future SEC outlook. Um, but real quickly, as far as the NIL goes, is there anything you can tell me about how the program has sort of adjusted to the struggles that they've faced recently. I know there's a lot on the Twitter thread. I always see a lot about how, um, you know, fans are kind of mad that the school's asking them for money as their main way of fundraising. How is the program kind of handling these struggles that they're facing currently? That's a good question. Um, I think just, okay. Before I get into that, I just want to say something real quick. NIL is so interesting. Um, I kind of joined just this industry right when NIL was starting to be sprinkled in. And then they stopped the sprinkling in and they just said, all right, it's in, go take it, figure it out. And I feel like we're still in the figure it out phase of things uh, now three years later, um, two years later, whatever. And it's just been so interesting to watch how some of these uh, programs have learned how to handle it. Because obviously you have programs like Florida who's uh, had their struggles you have programs like Miami who started really hot and now they've kind of plateaued. You have programs like Ohio State who stunk and now they're one of the hottest NIL teams in, or NIL programs in the country. So it's just there's so much up and down with it all. Um, and I think it's still it's going to be a continual learning process until there are specific rules and procedures put in place to mitigate some of the struggles that are that are occurring within just this world of NIL, within the regulations uh, of things uh, and how it goes about. I don't, I think Florida's definitely taking a step in the right direction with moving on from the Gator Collective and kind of going into Florida Victorious and things like that. Um, you started to see more um, adjustments to how things started early where they didn't really know what they were doing because no one knew what they were doing. Uh, it just ha so happened that Florida was on uh, arguably 
the worst end of the spectrum there uh, with the Jaden Rashada deal and everything like that. But I do think that they're still in the middle. I, I don't think they're the worst, but I also don't think they're the best. I think there are, is still room to improve and to really truly compete uh, in the NIL space. But it's kind of hard to exactly pinpoint or, or you know, just be right like straight up about what's going on with nil because it's so hard to understand exactly everything uh that it entails because without being in the room that with everything going on and and kind of talking with the boosters and the Florida victorious and the athletic director and things like that it's hard to get a true understanding of what exactly that looks like and you know i could sit here and talk to you all day about the overarching nil um atmosphere and yeah. things like that but it's hard to really pinpoint exactly how florida um is dealing with things without seeing it play out so florida says they're on a good track and then you know something else comes out and it's like well this happened again or you know whatever um it, it's it's definitely an interesting dynamic with how uh they're everything is is working uh in this new world that college football is kind of evolving into yeah, and I think it's really interesting because I think a lot of fans um, and a lot of, you know, really educated Gator football fans are saying, you know, it's the UAA and it's Scott Strickland, and I'm not even here to disagree. I think that there could be a lot of changes um, made for the better um, from both right. of those kind of entities and stakeholders. But um, I, I don't think that it's exaggerated of a problem as some people make it out to be. They're saying, oh, we have no money. We can't afford players. I mean, we just signed. DJ Lagway and LJ McCray, and I don't have the numbers on, you know, what we're, you know, offering those guys, but uh, let's, like, I can make, you know, the basic assumption and guess that they were not cheap to, to kind of acquire. So um, it's not like we don't have any money. I think that we just don't have enough compared to, you know, the Georgias and Alabamas of the world um, that can just go out there and get whoever they want pretty much whenever they want. So I think that there's a little, still a pretty big gap there. Um, I think improvements are being made and, you know, like you said, when, when things were first getting started, we really took the more cautious end of the spectrum. And I think that kind of hurt us a bit. Um, you know, I think the executives and powers that be at Florida, whether that be Scott Strickland or the UAA, um, really were not fully invested or didn't think that NIL was going to be a big deal. And I think that, you know, that kind of hesitation has really had some ripple effects that have still been hurting us um, today. But I don't know. I think we have, there's a lot of potential um, for the future in terms of growth. I think Napier's spoken about that. Um, we have a really good product to sell, but I think the best product to sell is performance in the field. So um, let's see how we do in the fall and hopefully things get better in that space. But I agree. with that being said, we really wanted to kind of talk about um, almost most importantly, you know, some of the bigger picture um, stuff about Florida and how they kind of fit into not only the SEC picture, but the national picture as well. Um, so uh, the first kind of question was, what is your general level of faith in Billy Napier as a head coach? And how many wins do you think he needs to to keep his job next year? I know a lot of people are saying he's on the hot seat. Me personally, I think if he gets six wins, he's safe, makes a bowl game. I think that's enough, especially with this schedule. Um, but it obviously depends how he looks in those six losses. Is he? Are we still competing in the third quarter with Georgia? Or is it a boat race? Are we, you know finally beating Kentucky um, at home or are we losing again? So it's a lot of questions. What are you, what's your kind of gauge on faith in him and how many wins do you think he needs? I think that he does some, like there are things that he does really, really well. I think that there are, uh, that 
really, really well. I feel like I was a child saying willy, willy. <laughs> but um, I think there are things that he does fantastically in terms of just building the the program or like or inside the building um, and, and how he kind of relates and, and gets players to play hard for him. I think that he has his guys bought in. I think everybody on the roster now is, is 100% bought in to what he's selling, and that can earn you a win or two every single year that you probably shouldn't get. And it's not necessarily saying that it's going to happen, but it always has the potential to do just that. When, I, when there is, There are players that are willing to go out there and put themselves on the line uh, to, to make sure that you know their, their coach gets to stay around another year if he's on the hot seat or whatever. It, it means something, and I think that he's kind of – done that in a in a really big way uh, since arriving to florida and but the on-field product hasn't necessarily indicated that over the past few seasons so i think there's a lot of question marks around billy napier rightfully so uh i i can't sit here and say that i think he's the guy i also can't sit here and say i think he's not the guy because of how everything's played out inside versus on-field product and things like that so i do think that this year is a uber important season for him um, and I think that if they, I agree with you, if they get to six wins and they're performing in games where they are, they're playing, you know, good football, they're, they're, they're not making those, uh, the mistakes that they've made over the past two seasons. They're not having the, the self-inflicted wounds and they're not getting blown out by teams that they shouldn't get blown out by. Then he will stick around for another season. I think that, and I've even heard that the six win mark is, the benchmark for him. If he can get into a bowl game, potentially win seven, there's an opportunity to win seven games going into, you know, next 2025. He will go well after 2024 going into 2025, he will be the Florida head coach, not beyond this season. Uh, yeah. And then it'll be a year by year basis. And they'll, they'll reevaluate each season. If not, then he would be gone and it would be um, a new coach coming in to the fold there uh, for Florida. So, Definitely an interesting schedule, definitely a difficult schedule, but something that if he can pull out six, potentially even seven, would, would really set him in good grace with a lot of, you know, both the brass of Florida and some of the fan base. It would be a uh, definitely be on the right track for, for Billy Napier and, and him kind of turning this thing around as, as it hasn't really looked pretty at times for him uh, since arriving in December of 2021. Yeah, and I think I also want to touch on it briefly. I think a lot of casual fans don't give Napier the credit. I think Napier joined Florida at a very, very unique time where, you know, we still had Mullins guys who are, are obviously mostly now gone almost entirely. Um, we He joined at the height of the NIL X transfer portal saga. Um, that's super hard to navigate, especially when you're brand new to a program. But also in reality, we have to give him some amount of credit because last year we were literally two plays away from being a seven and five team. And would we be getting the same number of complaints from the fan base? Had we, you know, made those two plays and in, in those games, probably not. Right. It's a lot of focus on the win loss column. Um, and I think that there's way too much focus on that. I don't think that that is super indicative of progress or not progress um, for a team. And, you know, people forget you, you made the comparison to FSU and Mike Norvell um, earlier. Mike Norvell got fewer wins in his first two seasons at FSU compared to Florida. And sure, he had to deal with... Okay, but now there was an increase in the wins in the two years. He went from three to five. It's not like he right. started at, at five he, and then won three the next year. He went up two. Billy Napier right. went back one 
in the second year with ugly losses like Arkansas in the mix. Yeah, but um, I mean, I would take 10 wins over eight. I think that's like, I'm a math guy, so I I I would take progress. But but like, we we can't discredit him fully yet. And I think that a lot, like you said, Brandon, I think a lot of fans don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. Um, Other coaches speak endlessly about his work ethic and and how amazing that is. Um, I truly believe that players are saying the same. Um, He's done so much in the background to build up the structure and and true culture um, of the Gators program that I don't think people recognize at all. Um, He's really trying to do this from the ground up the right way, um, very structurally and really build the foundation. And I think that, you know, because he's done that, he's really set himself up well, especially when we talk about, you know, how much experience he's given these freshmen that have come in that he's recruited. Um, It's also a great pitch for incoming freshmen um, recruits that they're going to get play time immediately. But, um, you know, in terms of, you know, the schedule, I'm sure you've looked at it plenty of times. What is a realistic, you know, floor and ceiling um, for this Gator team? Um, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. I've looked at, like, you're right. I've looked at the schedule uh, several times, and I, I genuinely have a hard time seeing them move past seven to eight wins. I think that's their ceiling this season just because it's a gauntlet. Um, and I – reasonably i think that four and eight is or really three and nine could potentially even be this the floor for this team i think five and seven and six and six is once again on the table uh and and kind of just remaining stagnant and and i agree with sam you know you saw what florida state did and yes it wasn't the most beautiful product the first two seasons but there were progress there was a movement forward that we haven't seen under billy napier and I, I said earlier uh, about Florida State in terms of their returning production and how that can aid a team to, to turn things around, uh, but it doesn't necessarily always mean that it's going to happen. Um, and so with you with how this schedule shakes out, I think it's an uphill climb uh, for this Florida team heading into this season to really show that progress that's needed uh, before the year starts. And that's not necessarily um, you know the, the answer I know a lot of people want to hear, but it's it's uh, going to be a tough, tough battle for the Gators um, throughout this 2024 schedule because, I mean, Miami's coming into town. Cam Ward is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And, yeah, he's and really good. And that O-line is, is one of fantastic. the best O-lines in the country as well. Right, right. They, that is, they are fantastic. Um, and, you know, they have their, they have their holes there uh, as well. But, but Cam Ward gives them a chance to compete this season um, with anyone in the ACC, I think. You look at Texas A&M, who is going through a bit of a rebuild, but they still have some talent. Um, I mean, UCF's always going to be a battle just because it's UCF Florida. UCF wants to still prove that they're on Florida's level, things like that. Um, and they're, the only thing I will say is they're lucky that a lot of these games are in Gainesville. You know, I, I think that they have an opportunity because that's one thing that Billy Napier has done. They have shown up at home. When they when they play at home, Florida's produced – uh, in the swamp when they're at full strength and or you know obviously that left final game against the season or of the season with Florida State Max Brown was starting quarterback there were several other circumstances that went into that one but um, just having some of these games in Ben Hogarth Stadium has the potential for them to reach more of that ceiling level um, but ultimately I think five and seven six and six is legitimately on the table once again for Florida um, heading into next season yeah and you know I I try my my best to 
it's it's kind of a, a give and, and take because I really will try to convince myself we're gonna have the. You've potential put some win. bold takes on this channel as far as next year goes. <laughs> I I legitimately think there is a path where we win nine games next year. It's a very very low chance of happening, but I see it happening. I think if we get off to a hot start and start six and zero, seven and zero, I think all of those first six or seven games are very winnable games. Um, when we get to the second half of the season, sure we'll drop a game to Georgia at Texas and Ole Miss with what they've added in the portal. But if those are our three losses, I think that there is an argument that we could potentially make a 12-team playoff if those are our three losses and those other three teams are playoff teams. Now, that's a that's a 0.001% chance of happening. But is it a chance? Sure. Um, I think realistically, I'm kind of falling more with what you said, um, Brandon. I think realistically um, – a season where we win seven or even eight games uh, this season um, is a great season for Napier. Um, my official record prediction um, is probably right around seven and five. I think that it can get done. Um, it's going to take a lot, but I think, like you said, we play very well at home. A lot of those big games that we need to build momentum for are at home. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Did you want to look at some of those later games in the year? I think at Tennessee is definitely an interesting one. Yeah. Um, and then we get Kentucky at home. What are your thoughts on some of those games after the Tennessee game? I know you talked about, you know, UCF a bit, but from that point right, forward, right. What, do you, what do you see? Tennessee is going to be tough because I think uh, Nico. Uh, I, I think he's, I think I he's the true. That guy, that kid looks really I good. Too. Well, I, so last year I came on the, my, so I did a brief channel and then I was like, I, I'm taking up way too much of my time. I have no time to think <laughs> I got to figure some things out here and get back to the thing that actually gets me paid. So I, I got back to simply writing, but I, I went on my channel and I said that I think that uh, if Tennessee started Nico last year, they would have been better than they were with Joe Milton. I said, I think Joe Milton's fine. He has a bazooka for an arm, but he's not accurate. And he's going to be someone that is middle of the pack and have them middle of the pack in the SEC. And th that proved to be the case. Um, I think Kentucky is like, if they're Kentucky. They're going to be hard-nosed up front. They're going to be able to run the football well, and they're probably going to push Florida around up front. And that's the way and that now it's been. And now with in the picture, too, that's a five-star right. recruit from two years ago who we just haven't seen yeah. a lot of, but he could, you right. know, maybe he takes them to another level, too. Yeah. I, I will say I've talked to some people at Georgia. They are not high on Brock Vanderbilt. Yeah, that's, they, I've they, definitely they seen a lot of YouTube personalities say the same thing. The, yeah, they, they don't. I, so I, I'm interested to see how that plays out. I think he could be similar to Devin Leary, which means that, Kentucky could be a seven and five, eight and four team as well. Um, but if he's anything better than that, then they could once again be in the picture to be go nine and three, ten and two, um, and just really live up to the uh, Mark Stoops mantra of being just on the cusp of being a great team, but just not being able to get over that hump. And then you go into those games against Georgia, Texas, LSU, Ole Miss, and Florida State. <laughs> I mean, if we're just keeping it a buck, I don't see. That is a gauntlet, dude. That is just that entire November schedule is it, it is going to be very tough to even pull out one win there. I think, I mean, we'll see what LSU brings to the table with uh, Garrett Nussmeyer being the quarterback there next season. Um, but, I mean, it's LSU, so they're going to have a ton of skill position players they are going to be able to defend uh, outside, I think, better than they were last season. Um, and and it, that's I think you see an improvement there defensively again. So, uh, again, that's another game where – Florida's lucky that it's at home. Um, it's just, 
the youth of Florida, the previous production from past few seasons, it's just I find it hard to sit here and say that any of those games are for sure win. I find it hard to say that I would pick them to win any of those games at this point uh, after that bye week on October 26th. So not saying it's not going to happen. And and, and it's, I think it's way too early. I haven't even seen what the spring looks like yet. Yeah. So I think it's way too early to um, give any true prediction on what Florida looks like next season. So I'm kind of keeping my um, official score prediction in my back pocket for now. But God, that is a tough schedule. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. You can go, Michael. Yeah. You know, on paper, it looks very, very tough. And I won't lie. You know, Georgia and then going to Texas, that is – Awful. Just chalk those two up now. It's not. It's not happening. I mean, I would say never say never. Um, but I'm pretty like, close to saying it's, never. It's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty close. To saying <laughs> I'm never. pretty close with um, the way those two teams look. But but if we're really talking about those last three games, um, mm-hmm. I don't think you can count out the Gators in the swamp ever. Um, right. I think you. Right. LS, people forget. I went to Death Valley last year, and this was you know at Death Valley. We're playing them tight for three quarters. We had the lead in the third yeah. quarter with Jaden Daniels dro- nearly dropping 700 yards on us. And they yeah. couldn't they couldn't they couldn't stop us. We couldn't stop them. It was it was a shootout until the fourth quarter. I don't I don't think that that is a a that game a horrible that... LSU defense. That's the worst LSU defense we've seen in ages. They they bring in players and and you know new staff to kind of stop that. If that defense is any better, I don't I think mean, that game stays. I mean our defense is all, was also pretty awful. Like I know you've yeah, seen the plays was... of Jaden Daniels walking yeah. past us for 70 yards, but like my goodness, I I think that's a winnable game. I think I'm very high on Ole Miss this year. I think that yeah. they bring in a ton of transfer portal portal talent. Um, Yam Banks at, at, on defense, um, Walter, Walter Nolan on the defensive line is crazy, um, and I think they're going to do really well. But again, that game is in the swamp, and we mm-hmm. know Ole Miss is the type of team to to drop some big time games in the past. Um, and I think that's a winnable game. Then. I'm not going to get started on Florida State. We'll be here for hours, but yeah, I think it's that- a winnable game. We have to see how both teams look by the end. It's going to be the closest I think it's been in the last, maybe since in the last two years, because when Jordan Travis, um, 2022, that game was pretty close. Yeah, so I think I, that, I think that, that game, at least as I see it now, is closer to a toss up than any of the other games. For now, I think right. easiest, I agree. easiest to, to most difficult. I think it's Florida State, then LSU, then Ole Miss, and then you can take your pick with Georgia and Texas. Right. I think. Uh, it's... My problem with the Ole Miss game, with the argument for the Ole Miss game, is the three games before that, you don't have a bye. Like, you don't get a break. So you're going, you know, tough physical games against Georgia and Texas. We'll see what LSU has in store, but you're not getting that bye in between them. I think I think by then you're just worn down, coming off a couple straight losses, and, you know, yeah. that's still a team that's going to pound you. So I think that's yeah. where the struggle comes between arguing that as a winnable game. Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss probably has some tough games right before that as well. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I think it's – and, you know, that could be a good thing that, you know, everyone stays hot. They stay warm, those games. Yeah. But more times than not, it's it's fatigue. And it, it's really hard. But, yeah, um, I guess kind of to, to wrap things up, we just had a, a couple more quick well, questions. I, I did want to say something about the schedule before oh, yeah. uh, we warmed it up. In my opinion, and, Brandon, I did – I won't hold you too long, but I did want to get your opinion on it. When I look at the schedule, to me, the most important game, just the implications of everything, I think there's two – but Miami, as the first game of the year, I see as one of the most important games. If you want to go broader picture, I think in, in a while it's the most important game. Just when you look at the implications, because if you lose that, 6-6 six and six becomes a reach now. Everything starts to spiral. You know you're going to win against Sanford, but you're starting 0-1. and 
in a stretch where you kind of go into it thinking you have to go, what, 6-0, and 5-1 and realistically. Now your first game of the year, Miami comes to your house, you know, whatever ACC, SEC narrative you want to put in there too, and wins. I think that would have huge implications for the rest of the year and could cause a spiral. If they drop that game, the floor starts to look a little more realistic in my opinion. And then another game, not as important, just in my opinion, I think it's important, is UCF at home. This is a totally revamped UCF in a new conference. They return a 1,000-yard receiver, return a 1,000-yard uh, running back. I had a, a recruiting reporter come on here and talk uh, for a little bit about some of the other additions that don't get as much light, not to even mention KJ. I think if they lose that game, fans are just going to lose it on Billy Napier. Do you, do you agree with any of that sentiment, really? That's just how I've kind of looked at it personally. Yeah, no, I definitely agree that the, the first weekend of the season, Miami is a massive uh, contest for Florida. I think that that could completely dictate how the season goes um, overall. And it also kind of sets the tone for the question marks that go going into the season. Can you know Florida take care of the self-inflicted wounds? Are they going to have you know the, the false starts, the uh, issues lining up and, and operationally? Uh, that we've seen from them in so long, because Miami, that like that, they are a team that can elicit that from you. This isn't a cupcake start. This is a all right. You're gonna you're jumping into the fire. Um, it's it's a serious way to start the season. So that Miami game is, is crucial. Um, and uh, I think you know I I just find it not necessarily funny because I agree with you, but um, you said that you know of course they're gonna beat Samford. Um, I do think it's funny that they put up 52 points on Florida in the swamp a few years ago. Um, just like overall, because it was like, well, are they, you know, but I, I, I agree that they will be them. It's just, um, that was the first thing I thought of when you said, yeah. uh, so, too. you know, you got Miami um, and then UCF, I agree. Uh, it's, it's really those in-state battles. Uh, I feel I like UCF is just one of those games where they might, where, you know, they get caught sleeping on them a little bit and right. almost helmet right. scouting in a sense where you just yeah. look at the helmet, you associate them as still a, a group of five team in your head and they come in and with all this talent that you didn't know about and, and kind of put a number on you, really. Yeah, and I'm interested to see how Florida performs off the bye weeks this season. They get two, yeah. um, and, and in the past, it hasn't necessarily been the prettiest uh, when they've had buys, just because I feel like the like Florida is has been fine when they get in a rhythm, and they're they're good at home. So, you know, you have optimism <clears throat> that they can beat Miami, that they can beat UCF, uh, but it's just to see them kind of jump into the fire, even though they'll have – four games into the belt by the time they're playing UCF, having that week off, how do they respond uh, to, to not having a game the previous week and going through the regular game day procedures uh, week in and week out, having that, uh, that week to kind of recuperate is usually good, but it hasn't necessarily been the case uh, in the past few years. Uh, you know, obviously going into Georgia isn't always the best sample size or the best uh, sa- you know, example because, you know, there's, you know, you can, get off a, a hot game where you win and get blown out by Georgia. So it doesn't really uh, matter uh, too much there. But, yeah, I think Miami and UCF are two really big ones. Uh, I also am looking at that Tennessee game in, in Neyland just because yeah. it's going to be a difficult one. But it's – I feel like that you got to win one a, a few on the road. Uh, that's one of the ones that you're probably going to have to pull out because once you get past that October 26th bye, like I said, I just I – just, have a hard time seeing uh, any for sure wins right now. Uh, I don't want to necessarily chalk them up as losses, but uphill uphill battle. You know, you're climbing a mountain to to win any, any of those five games in November. Yeah, and I, I you know looking at the schedule again, like 
It's so tough. I mean, when you even talk about going to Mississippi State, like that that is never a game that's going to be easy. Yeah, um, but that roster just feels really depleted overall. Yeah, it's yeah, a, it's a winnable game. It's it's got to be one it's of those. Yeah, definitely games. winnable. But when you say when you say it like that, oh, it's a winnable game. Like yeah. sure, all these these first few games are winnable, but it's going to be a battle, you know. And yeah. thankfully, I'm. I really want to get to go to, um, you know, Tennessee and Texas next year. I think those are the two biggest on, yeah. on my kind of wish list. But um, when you talk about the the, game, the implications of the Miami game, I was just talking about it with my buddy again last night. It is huge, man. I mean, I know one of my, my best friends, Rohan, who will be my roommate next year, shout out Rohan. He's bringing his older brother and 10 of his brother's friends that will be sleeping on our floor yeah. for that Miami game. Um, one of my other friends is bringing like seven of her family members that are all Miami fans. And it's just going to be a huge, huge game. We haven't played Miami. I wish I could years. go to that one, but I plan on being at the UCF one. Yeah. I, I think that game is going to be the dictator of how I see the rest of the season. At least um, if we win Miami that game, UCF? Play, uh, Miami, the Miami okay. game, if we lose that game, I will officially be um, depressed. So yeah, I think that, I don't know. I, I can't wait for that game to come around. And also what's really nice is Gator fans um, and, you know, you have students especially don't have to wait very long. It, it's a week zero game. We're up here for one Saturday and we got one week till, you know, kickoff. So um, the whole country will be watching. And if we lose that game, I cannot even imagine what things will be said online about us. And, yeah, you'll hear a lot from me. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we'll, we'll see if I don't have you blocked by then, Sam. But, yeah, <laughs> well, well, Ryan will be with you in person, I think. So. Oh, dude, that's going to be even worse. He's a Miami fan. You're, you're the FSU yeah. fan. I, I, I can deal with you. but I'm pretty diverse right. here. Yeah. Um, Brandon, if you had just a couple more minutes, I don't want to – I know it's been a yeah. kind, of, kind of long pod. If you have to go, it's all good. But we did have – two very brief questions on some like broader non Gator football um, talk. Um, if you'd be down to answer those as well. Yeah, that's cool. All right, cool. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about NIL and, you know, obviously the portal has become a really big, you know, factor in, in a team success. You know, we saw FSU last year um, really revamp their squad through the portal. What I, I think it's safe to say that the combination of the two in terms of, both NIL and the portal has really made it almost like college football free agency. And I think that's pretty problematic for a lot of teams. I think that it's not necessarily a fair playing field. Um, what do you think are some of the fixes that can be made? Um, I know there's talks about the NCAA disseminating and having, you know, the SEC and big 10 kind of take over. What are your thoughts on, you know, some of the changes that can be made to kind of regulate this in a healthy and sustainable way? I mean, ultimately, I think that if it keeps going in this direction, you're going to see college teams hire general managers and you're just going to have a, every team having a GM and you're going to try to set up contracts on a yearly basis. Like you're going to try to set up like full on NFL contracts for college students. And the only way that they're able to, to leave is if they go to the NFL and they're going to have different contract, uh, you know, stipulations involved. Because I think a lot of the, you know, I understand the talk of, free agency, but it's worse than free agency because a kid can be here for one year and dip. He has no obligation to stay there. At least in free agency, you sign a three-year contract and you're locked into that for as long as, you know, you're with them. And then if you ultimately, like if you, and they can pick up an option on you for a fourth year, or you can pick up an option for a fourth year, um, just depending on how things work out there. So it is a mess. And, and just the entire landscape of college football is, uh, crazy in the way that it's changing. I, I do think that there is a lot of good that comes from it, but 
like you said, there is a lot of bad that comes as well, just because of everything that it entails, the, the constant, uh, merry-go-round that we're, we're doing with, with talent. And every year you look at a roster and you're like, Oh, wow, these names are familiar, but these teams are not the, the, you know, sticker on the side of their helmet is different this year. Uh, so it's, it's definitely interesting to see how everything goes, but I think general managers is definitely going to be the, uh, first step in the right direction for a lot of these college uh, programs. And, and that's to say that the NCAA doesn't implement any type of, um, you know, regulations for what NIL looks like. And I think that if they do, they're already behind the eight ball. So it won't necessarily mean anything um, to really, you know, fix. I want I don't want to say fix cause it's, they're not fixing it. They're just trying to mitigate some of the issues, but I think they had plenty of years, you know, plenty of time to, figure out what this world would look like, but they kept pushing it down and saying, nah, this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to happen. Nah, we're never going to get there. Oh, nah, players will never get paid. And then it came and they're like, well, I mean, what are we, what are we supposed to do? We haven't had any time to plan for it. It's like, okay, well, it's because you've ignored the, the looming issue for the past 25 years. And now you're trying to jump into the game uh, way too late. So it's a, uh, it's a weird dynamic in college football right now, or college sports in general, for that matter. Yeah, because yeah. I think people forget, and even I forget, when people talk NIL, it's for the entire athletic program. It's not right. just football. Yeah, that was, that was football. a huge. Uh, it's a huge point that flies <clears throat> under the radar. It's what when I when I spoke to the UCF person, he said like he harped on that point that the struggles that some schools are facing is that although and they might get you know a good amount of NIL money total, but it has to be spread out across numerous you know sports programs and. When one school is becoming good at one sport, it's hurting another because they're directing more resources. Uh, you know, if you want to take a look at schools, the big schools like Ohio State, right? Haven't heard about their basketball team in ages. They're directing all their money towards football well, recruiting. So it just happens. I actually did hear about Ohio State the other day. They had a huge win against Purdue. But well, how's their record that, looking overall? You know, even FTCU over here yes, gets ranked wins. So it's, yeah. yeah, it just hurts. It's a point that flies under the radar. There's so many sports programs at a school that need attention, NIL wise. Yes. And I mean, that's the big, you know, I guess, gripe with with um, Strickland is we have a great athletic department overall, one of the best in the country overall. Mm-hmm. Our gymnastics team is great. Baseball is obviously great besides the philosophy besides this weekend. <laughs> open year. Um, you know, and then the basketball team is making strides right now, too. I could talk about that for a while as well. But, you know, when it really comes down to it, football is the heart and soul of, of the athletic program or athletic department. And I really want to see that improve. I think a lot more resources need to be poured in um, there. But yeah, the very last question we had for you, Brandon, was, you know, it's a new year this year um, where we're going to see 12 teams make the playoff. Um, Me personally, I'm not a huge fan of the expansion. I'm not, I'm I'm not a huge fan of the expansion to that degree. I -hmm. think that maybe six or eight would have been a better number to start with. Yeah. I I think that would have been better to start with. And then maybe if we saw that need in the future, we could have jumped to 12, but Kind of, what are your thoughts on the twelve-team playoff? I think it has a lot of pretty bad implications for um, bowl season, and you know the the, I guess importance that bowl games have. I mean, we already know that they're not super important now. So, yeah, right. what's your take on that? Uh, bowl games in general have not meant anything since the original um, college football playoff came out. So I don't think expanding it uh, is really going to mean much. Instead of two or three overall bowl games mattering, where it's the two national or two college football playoff games and the mm-hmm. national championship. Now you get even more. So I, I do think that it means that there are more that are going to matter. Obviously you'll get the ones of the 
the mid teams that are playing against each other that won't matter, but that's already the kind of the case for um, just anything overall. Uh, I, I actually really like the 12 team playoff. Um, I'm interested. I'm actually really excited to see how uh, the playoff games on campus kind of. Yes, that is, is one of the best. Like, parts, I think that's going to be awesome. It's I think so you're cool. going to get to see a lot of you know really cool environments of the higher seeded teams uh, and and kind of having those home games in the playoffs because like that that means so much because you know you're trying to move on you're trying to get into that next round I mean, and you have uh, you could you know, say obviously you could say like biggest saying? home game ever right like right. if you have a national right. championship that's that's not at home well, right? I don't know if the national championship. Uh, how many of the games are played at home now? Is it only the first it round the, or is it, it all would be the, way? the first rounds? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes rounds. sense. But still, like, um, if there's ever a home g- game in the swamp that we play in the playoff, like, right. I cannot think of a bigger, higher stakes game that's ever yeah. been played in the swamp, right? Like, right. it's going to be crazy. Right. Can I like just because, and this is a feasible possibility. Uh, obviously, they haven't been able to win big games lately, but can you imagine a whiteout at Penn State? For yeah, a that would be playoff game. That would be quite the game. Oh Electric, goodness. right? Like a like imagine a whiteout against like a Alabama. You know, let's say Alabama kind of has a little bit of a dip, but they're still in Crazy. it, and then they go to they go to Death or Happy Valley to take on. That would be just it, like there's so many great possibilities that can happen with it. And even even um group of five team is going to get a home game this year in a playoff. Right. I think that right. could be huge. That could totally tilt the scales yeah. a little more in their favor if a two lane. Yeah. Or a Boise right, State, a historic, pro- a two, yeah, exactly, historic group of five programs like Tulane and Boise State. Right. I love the auto bid for the group of five thing, and I love the auto bid for a conference champion because we obviously just kind of went through a little tough <laughs> last year as far as that goes. So no more of that. Um, but I love, I love both of those, and I'm excited. Michael hated the group of five thing coming in. I, I'm glad that we get to at least give him a chance for you know going undefeated, right. winning your conference. I just, you yeah. know, I think that. It's kind of just redundant. Like I think that if they go undefeated and they play well enough, they should deserve the spot anyway. I think giving them an auto bid. They like, don't get it because we'll hear the strength of schedule argument. We we'll hear all that nonsense. Yeah, right. but like, there, there's twelve spots for a reason. You can't just leave out a twelve. I don't think it would happen oh. where if a group of five goes undefeated, they get left out of a twelve. You can't leave out an undefeated team, you say? No, th- th- there's a difference though. The ACC <laughs> is arguably worse than the group of five. Okay. Um, however. No, I, I, I don't know. I think that it should be. <laughs> I think it definitely should be. I don't know, earned. But I, I don't have major problems with it. I, yeah. It'd be fun to see a group of five get destroyed um, every year in the playoffs. Maybe they pull off an upset against a, a Penn State who can't win big games. Yeah, potentially. But yeah, with that being said, Brandon, we really appreciate. It. I think that's all we yeah, really have you for so you, much. unless unless you had Absolutely, anything. Yeah. I know you've been here a while, but. Yeah, feel free to plug your socials and, and all that. We'll plug them in the yeah. description too. Awesome. Yeah, go follow me on Twitter at It's B Carol, uh, two R's and two L's in Carol. Um, and then also uh, allgators.com uh, for any football, basketball, recruiting, occasionally baseball as we're getting into that, uh, news, analysis, et cetera, um, of your needs. Uh, we, we got you over there at all gators so i really appreciate y'all for having me on it was a good time oh for sure yeah Yeah. we'll be sharing um you know the youtube links and and everything on you know twitter and tiktok and whatnot but yeah um if y'all could just hit that like button share subscribe subscribe um, like what you want to see more of in the comments yeah yeah let us know in the comments um but yeah with that being said thanks again brandon it's been great
Um, and yeah, we'll talk again as the season gets closer, hopefully. All right. Absolutely. All right. See you. All right. It's, it's stopping. I don't know why it's taking a minute. Imagine it just deletes. That would really oh. suck. No, no, I'm not going to put that energy out there. Oh. Yeah, hoping this. Damn, I got to grab some lunch, boys. I'm fucking starving. I ate just before you texted me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, because I 100% forgot. I'm not like not that is my fault. I just oh, no, bro, you're good. Time. But I was like, yeah, I'm chilling because I knew if I scheduled it for today, like you said, Tuesday one's like perfect because even if I forget, he's going to text me and I'm going to be ready to rock. So but, we were chilling. Yeah, Loki, last night I went to sleep without an alarm. Oh, looks like oh. Sam got the recording. I think he had to like leave to get the recording. Oh, sure. Did you get the recording? Uh, I, I really hope so.